Welcome to the Misplaced Socks podcast. In this series, Nate and Matt, two White Sox loving brothers, give their opinions, thoughts, and break down the week that was and the week that will be in White Sox baseball. Here are your hosts, Nate and Matt. Welcome to episode 16 of Misplaced Socks. We're just a couple of guys talking about our favorite sport and our favorite team. My name is Nate. He's Matt. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at RealCoachRusty, and he's at MatthewIce03. Last week, the Sox took on the T-blank-blank-blank-S and the Tigers... I've had this ache in my back and a bit of a headache and a sore shoulder. I, how you feeling, Matt? I can go fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like the Sox just can't escape the wrath of the baseball gods. Yes, Monty Grandal is the newest member of Club Sox Heaven. Not to be confused with the alternative nickname of 35th and Shield, Sox Haven. However, they escaped last week without much in the way of major injuries. Let's talk the Twins series, and then we'll get to the Tigers series. And we'll talk about the week that was. So Monday the 28th, the Sox and Twins were supposed to play. That game got postponed. I believe it's July 19th. Don't take it to the bank. Don't quote me on it. So the Sox wait until the 29th on Tuesday, and they pull out a win, 7-6. They put together nine hits, led by Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn. Uh, Let me just say right now, you better get used to it. And Sheets and Garcia lead with two RBI each. Sheets and Vaughn both with two hits. The offense gets most of its runs in the fifth, expanding on a 3-2 advantage to then go all the way up to that seven runs, and they manage to squeak it out at the end. This is a Giolito versus Maeda game, Battle of the Aces, and Giolito goes for six innings pitched, six hits, three earned, one K. That'll be of import, I believe, as well as one walk. Marshall goes for two-thirds, Burr goes an inning and a third, and then Hendricks goes for one inning pitched, gets the save. The Sox get the W versus the Twins. They come back the next day on June 30th. On Wednesday, they get the win 13-3. The Sox put together 12 hits for 13 runs. Good indicator that they're making use of the walks that we're reaching. There were only four of those walks, but they made them count. The Sox offense is paced by Grandall, Sheets, and Vaughn with two hits each. Starting to sense a little bit of a theme there, right? And Grandall leads the offense with five RBI, followed by Vaughn with three and Sheets with two. Yermin goes over two, but does manage to draw two walks. So, again, putting those at-bats back together a little bit, taking the walks, showing the patience. He also came in to catch in the ninth, as the game was way over at that point. Cease versus Ober that night. Cease goes for six innings pitched. He only gives up three hits, two earned runs, seven Ks, and three walks. Walks were a little bit up comparatively to where he's normally been this season, but nothing crazy. Three instead of, I think, two is where he's normally been at, so nothing wild. Crochet comes in for an inning, Birdie comes in for an inning, and then Ruiz finishes it out. 
On a day where performance doesn't much matter, the bullpen comes in and is nails and locks it down, just like you like to see. So, uh, beyond that, Grandall with two home runs. Goodwin added another one. Vaughn gets one. Abreu gets one. Gavin Sheets gets one. Cue the Oprah meme. And so the offense puts up another day of big runs. And it's one of those, you're, you're going to notice a couple of different themes, the first of which is going to be runs. And so they walk away with the 13-3 victory on Wednesday. They come back Thursday, July 1st. We have now turned the calendar to July at this point. And they put together an 8-5 to win. They put together 15 hits in this game. So the game's a little bit closer, but they managed their highest hits output. The Sox offense this game is led by Moncada, Abreu, Goodwin, Vaughn, and Collins. So again, we get that Vaughn in there. Uh, Sheets doesn't help lead the offense that day. That's okay. We've got a bunch of other people doing that. Uh, they all get two hits. Collins also leads the team with two RBI that night. And it's looking like a really good sign that the offense is being super spread out like this. The The offense is not, here's one guy that's hot and it's putting everything together and carrying a few guys with him. The offense is really being carried by the team, which is, you love to see that. Rodon versus Berrios that night. Rodon goes for five innings pitched. Gives up six hits, four earned runs, nine Ks with only two walks. Kopech, fresh off reinstatement from the IL, goes for an inning. Hoyer goes for a third of an inning. Crochet cleans up that two-thirds of an inning. And then Burr goes for one and Hendricks goes for one. The Sox sweep the T, win blank twins. And... Given the day off Monday, given the off day Monday. So they get the sweep aided by probably having Monday off. The Twins had taken a lead on Thursday. They put the sweep in jeopardy, but the Sox managed enough offense to just keep rolling at that point. All three games, they score seven or more runs, give us some false hope that things are getting much better. And so the Sox then traveled to Detroit. Matt. Why don't you go ahead and take us through what happened in Detroit? Um, yeah. So beginning of that series doesn't look so bad. For, okay. First off, I want to I want to actually make a comment on your whole run there and the Grandall comment that you made. I believe that with my heart. Um, I just am kind of at a loss. I've seen some people actually talking about how he was rushed back into. So I don't. I guess the people that are still claiming, even though they know that it's an injury, to think that he was rushed back or confusing me a little bit unless they think they were somehow connected so that's my two cents on that but yeah i think the baseball guys just had to sit him down for a little bit especially after the all-star snubbing that he received and i would say too like it to say that oh he got anyways he got rushed yeah, back yeah to, to say that he got rushed back i think would imply that they said we don't care if you're ready to go, you're going. But I don't think that's the case. I Very much so, I would have to believe that they came to him 
and said, hey, are you ready to go? And he probably said, yeah, because he's a gamer and that's what he's going to do, right? I don't think they pushed him to come back. I think they asked him if he was ready. And because he's a gamer, he went, yeah, I can go. Yeah, so I I just wanted to maybe uh, passive-aggressively call out some of the people on Twitter that act like this team is being mismanaged because it's the latter, not the former. So anyway, let's get into this Detroit series. Uh, one of the big couple runs in the first, and uh, Lynn kind of takes care of business, albeit not terribly economically. He does get nine nine strikeouts, throws 117 pitches. Um, we saw Andrew Vaughn pick up a home run of the ninth. Really, the offensive explosion didn't happen until the end of the game. There was five runs scored by the Sox in the ninth, where we got that Vaughn home run. Mendick drove one in. Sheets homered, uh, which was a three-run shot. And then, well, Noah Mazzara got one in the bottom to make it look a little bit more respectable, but not really, really so. So the big one, or the big headline in that is um, that, as you were pointing out, Vaughn has really stepped up and been a spark in this offense as we start to lose more and more people. Uh, That and the big old bastard, Lance Lynn, continues to show everybody that he is able to gut it out. I mean, he is throwing with everything that's behind that arm, and there's a whole lot of it, and he's not afraid to talk about it and not afraid to use it. The next day, uh, Saturday, July 3rd, this one doesn't go quite as well, and how could it? Let's just jump right to the big old socks-killing elephant in the room. Eric Haas hits not one, not just one, but two three-run home runs in this game. To come out with a total of six RBIs, uh, two of his three hits were homers and consequential ones. You want to talk about a guy that shouldn't be, but does come in and single-handedly win a game for a team? An inf- what, what I'm sure most Sox fans would consider an inferior team to this point? That is, I mean, there's no maybe about it that he's the first two-time Two-time man in this Sox killer club for the year. So, to me, that was... Sometimes you just get beat by these guys. Uh, Sometimes you also don't manage Dallas Keuchel very well. Dallas Keuchel looks just like Dallas Keuchel has into the fourth, fifth inning or so. um, That third time through the rotation, as you've mentioned a bunch of times, starts to not look nearly as sharp and that might be an understatement he looks bad when he gets that third time around he doesn't have the unwavering command he doesn't have the um the cutter that bites anymore like he did maybe a few years ago in his career to go three times through a uh, a rotation he just doesn't anymore and it we can't be the only ones that see that you know so yeah, that uh, oh, I didn't realize this because I didn't watch this. I wasn't watching this game at the beginning. That uh, first three-run home run from Eric Haas was an inside-the-park home run, so that's fun. I don't know how that happened. I started watching it about in the fifth inning or so. Um, really, everybody under the sun though gets gets these 
gets to Dallas Keuchel and then to this bullpen in the seventh and eighth inning. Uh, Scope got one. Candelario got one. Zach Short walked a run in. And then, yeah, the the nail in the coffin in the seventh inning with that second home run by Eric Haas. So the Sox lose that one, 11-5. Go into July 4th, Independence Day, and looking for some renewed hope, we've got Giolito up on the mound, and he just continues his his ways. And I know you have a big, long bit, so I don't want to go too in-depth on uh, Giolito here, but... He, all year, people have been sitting back on his changeup, and it hasn't really shown in his switching and pitch selection. He hasn't come back off that changeup. He relies on it heavily, and even though people are sitting on it, he continues to throw it, and Collins continues to call it. So there's an issue there. Not exactly sure what all the details of that issue are, whether it's sticky stuff or just pitch selection or uh, Ethan Katz pitch philosophy. That'll be an interesting, an interesting talk to have today. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more though about that that Sunday game. It's a close one. Uh, going back to Eric Haas, he had another RBI. Uh, he scored a run in that game, so just tacking on to more and more of me hating that guy. If I if I sound like I'm spending a lot of time talking about Eric Haas, it's because I am. And I hate him. Early in that game, uh, the Tigers get a run in the first, get three in the second. And this is one of those games that really just, as you have again mentioned, and we've talked a little bit about on here, you just don't feel like the Sox can overcome a four-run deficit that early. To be down 4-0 or 0-4 at that point in the game, it just does not... Seem it seems inconsequential of a lead, and excuse me, it does not seem inco- inconsequential. But the Sox kind of start to creep in. They make it look better. Jose Abreu uh, gets a RBI, scores Tim Anderson, Leori in the third gets a sack fly, um, scores Jose, and then in the top of the ninth, Jose tried to uh, homer and scored Billy Hamilton and brought it within one, but the Sox couldn't complete the comeback. So. A lot of back and forth in that game. Uh, some back and forth that I, I have to say I didn't expect, but it was nice to see that that late game or mid game fight out of the Sox. Yeah, it, it almost <laughs> almost immediately after I said, "Hey, we talked about this last week," that it just feels like what lead happens, the Sox just don't have whatever it takes in them to mount that comeback. And then what did they do? They started mounting the comeback. And I was like, hey, I, I, I don't have a problem with this. I would love to see this team start to become lots better at mounting those comebacks. And it just it came up short, but it was nice to see that they were at least being competitive, I would say. I, and I will say it's Jose Abreu getting that two-run shot in the night. Like, that's... Of all the people, he's the one I expect to continue to... Because he's just a... He's a professional hitter. He's not just a home run guy. He is... He takes good at bats, and yes, they have not been quite as good, but with the personnel left on this team, I'm not surprised it's Tim being able to get a couple there late. So, 
if I seemed like I bounced all over on that last game recap, I apologize. There's just a there was a lot of little stuff that was really interesting in this game, and it was there's a lot to unpack because it is against this Tigers team that there's we have no business for one losing what was it uh, eleven to five or five to eleven, and then not coming back and sticking it to a Tigers team that. Just has no, they just, they have no place competing right now. That may be not quite as true with the current roster, but they're still not the cream of the crop, even in the AL Central. I don't know how to put it in a, in a way other than they just are bad. You know, I don't want to be disrespectful of the Tigers, but they're eight games under 500. Socks are 15 games over. It's just a different different stratosphere right now. Well, and I don't think it's disrespectful to. No, I don't to think be so real either. I'm just trying that, not to be. Right. I don't think it's disrespectful to be real that they're not a good baseball team right now. And I think if you asked them, they're probably they would probably tell you they're better than their record indicates. But at the end of the day, they they are what their record says. And their record says they're just not a good baseball team right now. That doesn't mean they're not like on the rise. That doesn't mean that they are not close to being a good baseball team. It just means right now they're not. So, and I don't think that's disrespectful. I think that's just being real and honest. Well said. Um, the other thing I was going to say about yours that I didn't get to because I got on my Grendel rant was <laughs> we saw Michael Kopech. It's probably just because he's coming off that injury. They don't want to push him. We saw Michael Kopech in... I can't remember which game it was. In the Thursday game. Yeah, in that Thursday game. And we hadn't seen him since until almost exactly now. He came into the the Minnesota game tonight and just collected his first out of the night. But I, I just thought it was interesting that we saw him for that one and then had a pretty good break from Kopech, so... He must still, or at least they don't want to push that uh, that hamstring injury any more than they have to. I, I thought it was really interesting that we didn't see him at all in the Tiger series. Yeah, and the only thing that I can come to on that is, kind of like you alluded to, he, he must have something sore, he must have something going on that they went, okay, we'll sit you for a little while. Because there were some pretty key points at which he could have come in in that game, and he didn't. So I have to believe then at that point that it was, hey, I'm sore, and we're coming up on the All-Star break. And at the end of the day, it's not worth pushing him too hard. We we can yeah. push him as hard as we need to. There are a couple of games that we probably don't have to win. Yes, it feels bad because it's against the Tigers, but at the end of the day, it probably doesn't hurt anything. So, Yeah, I you're talking about that... Uh... Fourth of July game, couple yeah. key moments there. Yeah, when Giolito comes out after five innings, having given up six earned runs, and they put Ruiz in, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. But it it had to be soreness or just um, cautious, right? Overly cautious. So that's the last week worth of games. It wasn't pretty. They they swept the Twins, which was good. The Detroit series leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. They won the week. They won a series against the Twins. They didn't win the series against the Tigers, but 
You're not going to win them all. And right now, the way that the AL Central plays, we don't necessarily need to either, so that's fine. Um, I think the, there are two big things for me, and I didn't go into one. I went into the other. The first big thing that I, I thought about this week is the Sox have their... $34 million man or whatever it is in Liam Hendricks, which is great. That's fantastic. But right now, and this is something that I think it was Steve and Jason kind of talked about, the Sox don't have a, a go-to guy that transitions the game and shortens the game to get it to Liam. A lot of these good teams, especially the last few years, you you notice they have a rhythm of our starter goes six, maybe seven if we're lucky. We have this one guy that has to fill an inning or two, and then in the eighth we get one or two guys, and in the ninth we get one or two guys. And that's the really good teams, that's what they do to you, is they shorten that game to six or seven innings, because the guys that come in are nails, and they just make it so that you better get them early because you ain't getting them late. That's one thing that the Rays were really good at, have been really good at, but were really good at last year was shortening that game for the starters and shortening the game so that once that starter came out, you pretty much knew eh, you weren't going to get many chances. And that's something the Sox don't have right now. Last year, it was between Marshall and Bummer. When they came in the game, you kind of knew it was over at that point. You kind of kind of, kind of started counting bleh, the outs that were left because they were going to come in and they were going to get the 7th and 8th, and then Colome was going to come in and nail down the ninth. Colome not nearly as reliable this year as he was last year, but you get the picture, and that's something they don't have right now, is somebody that at least one arm that reliably transitions that 7th or 8th inning to the closeout guys. Yeah, so I don't... That's kind of what Michael Kopech is, though, right? That's, I mean, that's the, the role that he has served, and it you can feel that it's been greatly missed for this team. Yeah. Ever since. No. It's been a gigantic hole in this team, and I, he's he hasn't been the end-all, be-all. I mean, he wasn't around last year when the bullpen was nails as you so eloquently put um but the the role that he was he has kind of carved out for himself and and to get himself hopefully stretched out for a rotation stint next year has been that two three and then guy and with him down it's just it hasn't been there yeah i think that's the that's the thing that when the socks were going really well and the indians were playing well and we were keeping pace and making a little bit of ground that's the thing that they had and when he went down you had the rest of the bullpen's been shaky in its own rights so far this year Ruiz has been not bad but really outside of that you get a game or two good stretch from Bummer you get a game or two good stretch from somebody like Marshall but for the rest of it, it's just kind of, eh, pick your guy, because it doesn't really matter who we throw out there. It's going to be a circus, and we're going to have to figure it out. And that's that's what how Kopech has been deployed, and that's what he has been 
this year so far has been the transition guy. And so, yeah, we've gone that stretch since the St. Louis series towards the beginning of June that we haven't had that. Imagine if we would have guys that, if we would have had Kopech throughout the month of June. I, yeah, I was right actually now, just going to say, imagine if we would have had him. I have to believe that that Houston series is totally different with him. Yeah. I, I, I think I think we win that series if we have Kopech in to be able to kind of fill some of those gaps where um, at, like that circus that you're talking about really just became a common event. You know, where they start right. stringing a couple of hits together and it felt like they couldn't be stopped. Kopech is a guy that they they started the inning. They put two on your starter. Start of the sixth inning, they put uh, two hits on your starter, and it's bases uh, not loaded, bases um, occupied on first and second. You bring Kopech in, and he could shut that down. That's a whole ass run that he just shuts down. Right. But we didn't have, we had nothing like that, so it just it didn't work out. So the the topic that I did kind of settle on, which is. If for those of you that have been OGs with us and been carrying the the podcast with you, you'll you'll get a little bit of redundancy here. But I, I went a little bit more on it, and we have a little bit larger sample size. We're at the All Star break coming up. Giolito has one more start before the break, and looking at it, my my thoughts are, Geo, like you said, is. It, 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 he's got a weird kind of track going on, if you will. So my my big thing that I have beat the drum on this year so far for Geo is he is relying too much on the changeup. And so looking at it, his pitch selection so far this year in 2021 He's at 44% for fastballs. Last year, he was right at or near 50%. Only 33% of that was changeups. So last year, a really good year, he plays that fastball up, uses changeups to get guys out. This year, his changeup is playing up at 36%. Okay, well, we've already said that his fastballs are down. His changeups are only up 3%. He's throwing more sliders this year at 17.8, whereas last year it was around 14%. So he's getting a lot more sliders called for him. And I'm not going to say that the sliders alone are the culprit, but between those two pitches we're going to kind of start to see a little bit there where these things come into play. So if we do believe, in fact, that he is struggling this year, and here's the hard part is when you say struggling, it's hard to quantify that, right? Because he's been an okay pitcher. He hasn't been last year Giolito. He hasn't been dominant ace that everybody looked at at the beginning of the year and went, if that dude improves or does what he did last year in a full season, He's probably a Cy Young candidate. He's not been a Cy Young candidate up to this point. Carlos Rodon has, but Gio has not. So if we believe that he is in fact struggling somehow this year, I I think pitch selection is a contributor. It shouldn't be lost on us that Gio has a quote-unquote preferred catcher last year. I think it was the last couple of years he pitched to McCann almost exclusively. This year he's pitching to Collins exclusively. There's probably an argument to be made that McCann is a better game caller than Collins. 
That makes sense. Collins is younger, has less major league experience. The other potential that I see, and this is one of those hard things to really nail down because we've never talked to Ethan Katz. We've never been in the pitching room. Um, it, it could be a pitching philosophy between Katz and Geo. I think that it's less likely that it's that. Looking back at 2018 Giolito, which is the staple that people go to to go, oh, bad Gio. Oh, he's go back to 2018 Gio. Oh, no. At that time, he threw a two-seamer, and it included a 20% usage. His changeup usage was at 15%. So he used his changeup half the amount of time when he was, air quote, bad. And then his four-seamer was around 39%. So if you take fastballs in general... Take your sinkers, take your four-seamers, combine them. He's close to 60% then on fastballs. That's pretty high. That would be like Lance Lynn territory fastball usage. Right. Let me tell you, Geo does not pitch well enough to be Lance Lynn territory fastball usage. <laughs> so <laughs> just we'll put that aside. I'm not out here banging the drum that Geo needs to throw 75% fastballs. But last year he brought the fastball usage down considerably. Like we said last year, he was around 50%, which was down from that 60-ish. So there was a 10% drop in there. And this year his changeup percentage is up more. It's not a huge uptick from last year, but it's noticeable. And he's throwing less fastballs to couple that with. Now, the thing that makes a changeup effective is it looks like a fastball until it moves. If you are throwing more changeups and then you have thrown more sliders, you are now leaning heavier on pitches that are slower. So now instead of relying on that fastball that's 93 to 95, should be somewhere sitting around 94, 95, typically for Geo. Instead of leaning on that and using the changeup to then throw guys off and using the slider as a wipeout pitch if things are not going as well with the changeup or you need something different, to, a different wrinkle to throw at a guy, he is relying on his fastball then playing up by playing it off of the changeup and slider. And so the interesting philosophy for me here is looks like what Geo's approach or Collins and Geo's approach or Collins and Katz and Geo's approach, whatever the combination is in there, their approach to this year seems to be so far, we're going to pitch everyone backwards, which you can pitch guys backwards every once in a while. If you are having quicker innings, that third guy comes up, he's going, okay, I know kind of what's coming. You're mowing us down a little bit. Then you pitch them backwards, or you have a really hot hitter like Eric Haas, right? Because that's <laughs> a guy. You can pitch them fact, backward. He is, in fact, that dude right now. Mama, there goes that man again. <laughs> um, that That's spots where you would want to pitch a guy backward. Or you have, like, Eric Haas hit, gets you for a three-run dinger in the first... So then you go and you pitch him backward in the next at-bat. Right now, 
He's throwing the fastball less than half the time. He's throwing it about 45% of the time. When you are throwing then major league hitters, a ball that goes 82 to 86, that's not fooling anyone. I no. don't care. I don't care how much it dances. That's not fooling people. It can move like a knuckleball and they'd still be able to tee it up. Because it, it's it's got too much spin and it's going too straight for it to do knuckleball things and fool guys. Right. So he's not using the fastball to set up the changeup and set up the slider. He's u- trying to use a changeup and slider to set people up. The slider is going to break away from right-handed hitters. The changeup, in theory, as long as it's not thrown straight, should then break into right-handed hitters. But when the ball's only going 82-86 for major league hitters, that's an easy adjustment. So for me, <laughs> the other phrase that I've heard some this year that um, – comes up with Collins and Geo together is doubling up on pitches. And sometimes they've tripled up on pitches, which I think is just a game management and an experience thing again for Collins. But when you aren't throwing balls that hitters are going to struggle to hit like a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and you're throwing pitches that average 82 to 86, you're not much better than Jamie Moyer. <laughs> now, no no disrespect to Jamie Moyer. The dude had, like, the longest major league career I think I've ever seen. But Wait, he's, he's not playing anymore? Yeah, I know. Surprising, <laughs> right? He's probably on a roster somewhere. Somewhere. He, he was never anybody that you... It was a shock when there was a couple of years when people were like, yeah, Jamie Moyer, Cy Young. He's not a guy that you looked at and went, Cy Young candidate. If that's what our expectations are for Geo, I think it is it is fair to expect more out of him than we have gotten so far this year. So some of the concern that I have seen floating around is he hasn't looked like that dude. He hasn't looked like the dude. He's done okay, but we expect him to be the dude. The good news is he hasn't had to be the dude because... Dylan, Carlos, Lance have all picked things up. Now, you have Gio who's pitching okay and Dallas who's pitching almost like a melted banana on the hot sidewalk. That's going to make it things stand out a little bit more. So far, we've survived it. Somehow. Somehow we have. I First off, it's not quite fair to compare Gio to that big bastard in Lance Lynn. It's just not fair. Geo's a tall bastard, but he's not a big bastard. Yeah, I don't know why that. I, I would say he is not slight, but he is not no. big. Yes. So the the comparison, fastball comparison, it, we can't forget about that. That Lance Lynn has about three different types of fastballs as well. So it looks like he's on 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 Stat Track or whatever it's called. He's throwing a fastball a lot. They almost all of them are fastballs, but they all break different directions. We've talked a little bit about that before. I think that's pretty cool. Pitching Ninja uh, has a graphic on that if you're interested in, in seeing what I'm talking about. But uh, so maybe the comparison's not exactly right. But I do like the I do like kind of the uh, your intimating of Geo maybe not ever supposing to be an ace, 
but not it not making him a bad pitcher. Because I did see somebody on Twitter that made a similar point in that Geo, yes, he was a, the number one in 2020, but he's not a number one guy. And he didn't have quite the pedigree that a guy like Kopech had when he was drafted. Yes, he was he was a high draft pick. Yes, he was a touted draft pick, but Nobody ever looked at him and said, that guy is going to come in and he is going to dominate a rotation and he's going to dominate everybody that comes in. And you see, you see the difference between a guy like Kopech and a guy like Gio, just in every pitch, the life that Kopech has on every single one of his pitches. And he's just damn near unhittable whenever he is healthy enough to play. So it's a good point. And I think it's, I think he is a damn fine pitcher. I I just I don't know if there's other external factors affecting him being oh I don't not as dominant as last year. That change the changeup usage is just weird to me. I it, there's so much to this. I I'm I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around exactly how I want to look at it because it's weird to me that he refuses to lay off the changeups. It's weird to me that he doesn't want Grandall to catch him. And that maybe that's it's not that he doesn't want Grandall to catch him. He just prefers Zach Collins. And I so I want to ask you as a former catcher for many, many years, what what forces him to make that decision? Like why is that we know that Grandall is a better catcher than Zach Collins. We know he calls a better game. Why what's the deal there? Sometimes it's just about the way a guy sets up sometimes it's the amount of time that you get to spend with a guy because Grandall spends a lot of time working on working with I should say Cease spends a lot of time working with Lynn spends a lot of time working with Dallas so sometimes it's just about you get a one-on-one guy that you're going to formulate a game plan with and you're going to develop a rapport with and you guys are in sync. So you spend a lot less time trying to figure out what pitcher we're going to throw here. There's no hesitation. And for a pitcher, that the no hesitation piece plays a huge part because if you listen to interviews with major league pitchers, one of the things that is, I would say, probably understated a lot of times by anybody that's listening or anybody that's talking about it that you will hear pitchers say is throwing a pitch with conviction. And so if, let's say, for example, Geo doesn't feel like he and Grandall have spent enough time on what pitch are we going to throw in what situations, and Grandall calls a pitch and Geo isn't certain on it, He's probably not throwing that pitch with conviction, and it's probably more likely to have an unfavorable outcome at that point. So it's it's hard to say exactly where the, the information with Geo kind of sits because he also switched off of McCann and two Collins this year. So this is, he's had two different, air quote backup catchers that he has worked with instead of Grandall so that makes me wonder if it's really just kind of his approach in terms of I want one guy 
and this is my guy. Uh, we saw this with, now i got to think, uh, John Lester and David Ross, right? This isn't new. It's not novel. It's not common, but it's been done before. And so it's a lot of times, and I think if you go back and listen to Lester and David Ross, it really is just a, this is the dude that I know he knows what he's doing. I have worked on this game plan with him for four days now or whatever it is. I'm going to throw to him because I know that he knows what we're trying to do. That is fine and dandy for a guy that's major league ready. I kind of question it a little bit in terms of doing it with Collins this year simply because Collins just doesn't have that plethora of Major League calling experience. Now, that being said, this is this is the same problem that people trying to get a job have, right? How do you get experience? You go do it. Well, how can you go do it if nobody gives you the chance because <laughs> you don't have any experience? So yeah. we're... We're going through some growing pains right now in terms of, I would say, probably that relationship between those two, as well as the experience of Collins learning. He's going through and learning at the major league level effectively right now. He had years in minor league, AAA, but at the end of the day, he's learning the major league game at the major league level. And there's just... It's a completely different animal. So your, <laughs> I just went off on a complete rant. Your question being what, what <laughs> leads into uh, Geo only pitching to Collins or only pitching to McCann from the catcher's perspective? It, it, pitchers are weird, first of all. I, they I, are weird, weird birds, that's for sure. My best friend's a pitcher. I'll never understand him. <laughs> and it's largely a matter of it really is just a this is the person i'm comfortable with i know geo does work with like codify and things like that maybe they have a little bit of input in terms of hey geo you seem to pitch better when or you seem to pitch better too i'm not entirely sure how much that plays into it but the other interesting part too is this is also carrying over from coop last year enabling or the last couple of years enabling this with McCann and now Mm -hmm. has carried over into cats with geo this year too. So it's, I think it really is just one of those pitchers are weird and geo for whatever reason threw to grand all a couple of times, didn't like whatever it was the way that he called the game or the way that he received the ball, something like that. Maybe it's that he doesn't like the way that he receives the ball in terms of the changeups, and that's really what it could be. Is he just goes, I don't like the way you catch the changeup. It doesn't seem to help me. I'm gonna get somebody else that catches it a little bit better. I don't think Collins is nearly the receiver that Grandall is. Yeah, I, I, Grandall gets a lot of um, props for his receiving uh, as a guy that caught, uh, albeit like amateur levels um i'm not underwhelmed by his receiving but i see things every once in a while where i'm like "Eh, that could be better but i've never done it at the major league level so no i mean the tangent is i I knew you kind of had some thoughts especially how it related to geo there but i i really am just scatterbrained about this last 
well, really the Detroit series has me all sorts of messed up. Because I thought I knew who this team could beat. And I thought going into the All-Star break, we beat that we would sweep the Twins. We'd get at least two out of three from the Tigers. Then we would sweep the Twins again. And then, so I'm just a little bit discombobulated and trying to really wrap my brain around a lot of what has happened. And what is, what is no longer a uh, coincidence or just a happenings of a 162-game season, but things that are starting to become trends for this team which is some of them are good more of them so far have been bad or unlucky that's kind of where i'm at i i'm not having nearly as much fun (laughs) watching baseball this year as i thought i would it's still fun i still enjoy it but i really thought like most Sox fans that we get to see more of our favorite players playing and i just i'm having a hard time getting up for Danny Mendick and uh, I know Jake Lamb's down now, but Jake Lamb for a long time and Leori Garcia. Like, I'm just, it's a little bit, it's getting tougher and tougher for me to really kind of bring myself to get excited and think that exciting things are going to happen during the games with this continued roster. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Um, I, I will say this. It should not be lost that the Detroit series probably was okay. Yes, we lost to a three. The The bullpen gave away the 4th of July game. That mm-hmm. it, That's a game that the offense clawed its way back into, and the bullpen just found a way to give it away. And it goes back to the we don't have a guy that we can put in to really hand the game over and shorten it. So it, yeah, you're not wrong about the offense. Like, like you said, I'm going to get up so that I can go watch Danny Mendick and Leary Garcia and Billy, the hitter and, and notice the list keeps going (laughs) at this point. Brian Goodwin, which, Brian Goodwin's been pretty. Here's the thing: all of these guys have shown bits of being major league ball players. Uh, they all have played or or will play at some point. Um, not at some point, but throughout the duration of their career, they will show why they are at the major league level. But it's the consistency is just not there. Now. What has been really cool about all of this is getting to see guys like Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger come up and not just come up, but kind of have that early success that has eluded a lot of uh, a lot of the higher caliber players that the Sox bring in, like Luis Robert really struggled right away. Jimenez really struggled right away. So I'm not used to, I say we, but I'm especially not used to seeing some of these prospects come in and have success. It's it's kind of a cool thing, especially for guys with the stories that we all know, like Jake Berger and what he's gone through. So, Yeah, I, I think that that's, amongst all of this, one of the things that we railed on early when Eloy went down, we went, oh, the depth. And then Luis went down and we went, oh, even more the depth. But, the reality is, is 
it really hasn't mattered who Rick Hahn has brought in. They've, for the most part, got the job done. I am incredibly underwhelmed by Leori Garcia yet. I mean, he every once in a while he shows old Leori again, and I'm like, ah, eh, maybe this will be okay. But the reality is, is we need something a little bit more. But you're right. It it has given us the opportunity to see these guys that like Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger that we keep hearing about, but we never get to see mm-hmm. um, because there was no no minor league season last year and the visibility for minor league teams a lot of times is hard you don't almost see a always lot from them yeah yeah that that is it's it's damn near criminal that they don't I, I understand a little bit the financial side of it but it is you should be showcasing these prospects that's a huge market that baseball's missing i think I think at the AAA level, yeah, I agree. AAA for sure. The lower levels, um, it's probably fine that they're not televising. But AAA, absolutely. Like that's how you get that's how you get young people involved. Or one of the ways that you get young people involved is get them invested to guys that are early in the system, to get them up close and personal, get them get their eyes on these prospects that are coming in to their favorite major league teams. Right. I mean, why why do we watch college basketball so closely? Yeah. Why do we watch college football so closely? Because those are, and number one, you watch because you're alma mater and whatever the team you root for, whatever. But th- those are the dudes, those are the names that are coming up into the sport in the next year or two. And those are the those are the avenues too that they have. Yep. Now, but college basketball, it's kind of transitioning a little more towards. A professional league kind of like baseball but even that like everybody's excited about that and wanting to watch these leagues baseball has that they've had that for a long time it's just the major leagues do or the the minor leagues do a really good job of uh, advertising because they have to they do a really good job of promotions because they have to i think it should be a little more or a lot more up to the mlb to try to be promoting them as well yeah, I, and that's the the part that gets me is the avenues that the other major sports have to the professional level are the ones that are promoted like they are. And in baseball, yes, you have the College World Series and college baseball starting to be a little bit more mainstreamed, but it doesn't it's, – it's the – it's not how do I want to put this? It's not the wrong guys to put in front of people, but you're putting these names and people in front of people in front of fans that right now they kind of almost disappear apart from your diehard baseball fan who is watching the prospects in the minor leagues as well as their major league team. They kind of go away because once they get drafted, what do they do? They get stuck in some minor league system somewhere, and then they're just a name that you hear. Maybe they'll show up. Maybe they won't. Maybe it'll be next year. Where if they took the time to actually put together a a triple A product that was good, and they invested in triple A product that was good, like college basketball, like college football. Now, 
it's hard. You're not going to remanufacture that. It's hard because college football, college basketball, you're you're dealing with something that has a pageantry to it and has a history to it. So you're not going to get that exactly, but it's the right way to go about keeping these names and these these players that are going to be the next whoever on people's tongues is not hiding them away. Because once they get drafted, unless you're in one of the cities, you don't really ever see them or hear from them again until they make a major league debut or you're paying close attention to prospect lists. Yeah. That was the way that you see them. That's kind of my point or that I was thinking about was you have to be in the city. You have to be in Charlotte. You have to be wherever your club's baseball or minor league system team is triple a specifically to be able to watch any of those guys and guys from the major league club going on rehab stints. And that's, that's a whole nother part of like, you could be advertising the, like, how is your favorite player? progressing in rehab that is people would just kill over that you know that i can't believe they haven't done something like that and in minor league baseball has like like i pointed out they have done such an incredible job of revolutionizing the way they promote their product locally that needs to be on that needs to be televised that the, the good ideas and the the new rule changes and that's a whole nother aspect of it Show us how the rule changes look from a, a fan's perspective that you're testing out. Right. I, like you, you I don't... have these things that you're implementing and testing. Put it on the eye test. Put it on televised games, and let's actually see it. Let's see how it works on a broadcast. I feel like we're revolutionizing baseball right here. I mean... It will never be the same. I, I I I mean you're not wrong. <laughs> it it's wild and crazy, but it's not changing the the only change that it's making is more investment in those younger guys or a little bit older guys that are trying to make that next step. And maybe if we invest in them a little bit more, maybe we get a a, a little bit better return on those investments. Oh, Don't absolutely. Know. I Clearly, think I think there's no doubt doing about it. Is meh. <laughs> Agreed. So that's kind of my, I, I just want to talk about it briefly because I thought it was this incredible revelation that I had. And then everybody started tweeting about it on Twitter. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not the only one that thought of this, but um, getting to showcase some of these minor leaguers like Sheets and like Burger. It's 100% just a showcasing for trade for, um, prospect or not prospects, but for potential trade partners, right? Like we have no intention of actually keeping up sheets and burger up for long the long term. I I mean, what we don't really have a choice, right? The the injuries have made it. Yeah, the injuries have made made it so that there is no choice right now. But it's not like there's no place for Jake Burger on this team right now, unless he learns how to play second base miraculously. He he's up to kind of just fill in right now and then show off a little bit. Hans showing him off a little bit for the Diamondbacks or for the Marlins or whoever, you know. I think that that's a big part of it. Sheets is a little different to me. Sheets has a pretty pure 
uh, sweet swing that I think could keep him in the ire of White Sox management maybe a little longer than most. But again, where does he play? Because he kind of showed us DH right now. Yeah, well, he could DH for as long as he wants, unless they plan on putting Eloy coming back, like when he comes back into that spot. Because Sheets can't play right field. We saw that. Right field is not um, not great. Left field is Vaughn's got left field locked up right now, which is something I never thought I would say (laughs) (laughs) before this season. Yeah, our first baseman DH. Uh, straight out of single A ball has left field locked up, done. Don't even finito. Don't even think about it. Uh, yeah. So it's a we have a lot of these guys where it's like, wow, last year when we were really struggling finding a DH, sure wish we could have had Sheets come up and just start hitting two three run shots immediately when he gets called up. That would have been super nice. Wish we could have brought up your mean Mercedes last year. We could have. Um. And he goes eight for eight to start the season. That would have been cool. But now we call him up and it's like, well, we got another first baseman DH. We got another another guy that is just going to play second fiddle to Vaughn and Abreu and Berger trying to play behind Mankata at third. So just an interesting, like, we have good pieces. They just aren't in the right places to fill in right now. Yeah. So those, those guys are, those guys to me, even sheets sheets, less so, but burger and sheets are, a, are an absolute showcase right now going into the trade deadline. In my opinion, I, I think it's a happy accident. I mm. guess is the best way to put it. I don't think that's the intention of bringing them up because if it's not them, who were you going to bring up? Because you saw some Luis Gonzalez. You clearly didn't see enough that makes you go, yeah, he's the dude, or yeah, he's ready. So you come off of him, and then we've seen Nicky Williams. We've seen, trying to think of who else we've seen so far. So you might as well bring these guys up. Now's the right time. You don't have to worry about arbitration concerns on that now so it's it's really just a matter of i think the injuries have forced these guys up and now it's i don't think it's so much a matter of the showcase i think it's really just they're here because we don't really have another choice the showcasing just is a happy accident yeah i wish we had more happy accidents this year (laughs) <laughs> mostly we ju- mostly we've just had accidents I, and i mean we're in first place we're up by we won tonight so uh, potentially while well, we're six and a half games up the cleveland games postponed due to the hurricane rolling through the area so i mean yes we've had a lot of accidents we're mostly happy so far i think yeah I actually think the happy accident part of that is that they were they've been hitting. They didn't come up and just lay an egg, both of them or right. either of them. The happiest part of that is that they are if and I think they are being showcased, they are showing out. They're showing what they're capable of. They're showing 
uh, other teams that maybe I'm not going to say they're worth more than the other teams thought they were, but that they can produce at the major league level. Right. Which, if we're looking at more than just a rental, or we're trying to get a rental at the best deal we can, that's really what what our trade partners need to see, is we've got guys that can do it, and they're under team control. So it's... I, I think if this is in fact a showcase, let's say that Han is in fact showcasing these guys, and that's the intention here. That's why we didn't bring up a Luis Gonzalez for longer, and we didn't bring up uh, more Zach Birdie and things like that. If that's the intention, then I would have to believe there's a little bit more fire to the smoke that is the Trevor Story situation. Mm-hmm. or something a little bit more long-term. So because... I think that the one of the important comments made, I, I can't remember if it was Han or if it was somebody quoting him or wh- whatever it was, it, him saying that we have not seen the last of your mean Mercedes in Chicago this year. To me, it was like, I I read it or heard it as, Mercedes is going to go down for a little bit while we showcase these other guys. We get sheets up to DH, and then when we make a deal, if we make a deal, we'll bring Mercedes back because they'll need a DH. That's kind of how I interpreted it, and I think that is completely logical. Send them down, build the confidence a little bit while we showcase these guys just so that we can bring them back up and get them going. I mean, even at the point that he got sent down, he was batting two seventy two. And he was putting together a little bit better at bats. So I can't say you're wrong simply because I'm not in the room and I don't know what's going on. It just doesn't quite feel like that's exactly what it is to me. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's not what's happening. I the There's two things that I really hope happen here. I really hope that if they don't move Sheets and Burger, that they don't send down Sheets and Burger. Now, you kind of got to do one or the other if you plan on bringing your mean back, which tells mm-hmm. me they probably plan on having to move one of them. I, I don't necessarily know that it required an MLB showcase to do that, but the the other thing that I hope happens is whoever we trade with, I hope to goodness they take Adam Eaton. I I hope and pray that he's part of whatever package. And if they don't take him, uh, yeah, just go ahead and inject him into the sun. <laughs> if you could, that'd be just fantastic. He is he is the consequential uh, fantasy baseball trade where you have to drop somebody because you're receiving more than you gave up. And you're like, well, this guy's useless, so you just drop him to waivers. That's Adam Eaton right now. This is the dude I was carrying because I didn't have a choice, but yeah. I traded to actually improve that position. So, see ya. Yep. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean. There's a lot to unpack. It felt like there was not that much baseball, honestly. Like, we had a couple normal length series. It felt like the baseball was slim pickings. Maybe I just was busy this week, but there was, there's plenty of stuff to, that 
is layered inside of that baseball. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you're going to have to start to read a little bit more into stuff as we go into the all-star break, right? We're running out of baseball for the first half and we're about to take a week off. It's, I would say it also helped it to feel like there wasn't a bunch because we played the hapless Minneapolis, Minnesota T blank S. So we swept them under the rug and there wasn't a lot to talk about there apart from how freaking awesome our offense looked that series. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that helps make it feel like there wasn't a lot to go through there. The Detroit series, again, y- you feel bad. So there's a little more to have to unpack there, but it's this season as hard as it is for me to believe. I can't believe that we're half done. Like that is hard for me to put my head around already. Yeah, it's that simultaneous feeling of I feel like I've weathered an entire season's worth of storm, and also I'm amazed that it's already half gone. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of storm, it is just absolutely downpouring in Minnesota right now. Yeah, is that game not done? No, it's two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Hendricks is going for the six-out save here, and um. Oh, he always ends up being the one trying to pitch in the rain. So uh, he's going to get to know here and we're going to go home. Well, there we go. Show me. B- Billy Hamilton just made an, in, it just an incredible diving catch in center field, by the way, to get that nice. second out. It was maybe the catch of the year for the Sox. Well, and in the rain and everything, his jersey's just completely caked in dirt from the warning track. It's awesome. And he didn't come up and every bone in his body was not broken. Or he did come up and every bone was not broken. So that was a plus. That That's a win in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. I don't care if he caught it or not, as long as his body is not completely shattered. Well, speaking of sending people home, I think it's time we send these listeners home. What do you think? Yeah, I suppose. I think my my closing thought is we're we're coming up to the All-Star break and regardless of how you feel like the last, uh, how the month of June went, effectively is what I'll say. <laughs> the Sox found a way. They're six and a half games up after tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And it's going to be interesting to see how we come out the gate out of the All-Star break once we get a little bit of rest for our guys that are banged up with owies and not injuries and i look forward to seeing what the rested and ready version of this team looks like all right well my my note is a little bit i don't know about gloomier just kind of more annoyed than anything else of the people calling yohan wakata soft or anybody else on this team for that matter I was I tuned into the ESPN broadcast last night of the White Sox Twins game, and first of all, Eduardo Perez does an incredible job. He's one of the few ESPN guys I really, really like to listen to. But I believe he made a comment about Makata's sprint speed being 31 feet per second. 30 is elite in this game. 31 means he's above elite, or he's in he's higher in that elite category. Uh when a guy is pushing his body 
to the limits of what a human should be able to do sprinting to first and try i know he got caught going home in that same same inning but trying to trying to win these baseball games is putting his body on the line whether it's uh, making a diving play at third or just running until his muscles are about to tear you cannot sit on your couch and call that guy soft on twitter that's it's just unbelievable i don't it just doesn't make any sense to me to say he winces like i would wince every time i stepped on a baseball field if i was also then trying to just rip it apart by running faster and faster and faster so i just don't think it's fair uh, I think it needs to stop. I think we need to appreciate that he's still playing on the field right now <laughs> more than anything, and that he's not uh, up in Sox heaven. So cool it with this with the Yoan is soft comments. You're not going to get any love from this Mankata Stan over here. <laughs> well, calling people out on Twitter, I'm sure it's a great plan. Yes. It's the best way to do it. With that yeah, being said, I don't said, even care if it's a. I don't care if it's a great plan. It's my plan. It's the plan. Oh, with that being said, thank you everyone again for listening. Thank you for coming along on this ride with us. We're halfway through. If oh, we're almost halfway through our first season of this podcast thing of being this dug into a little bit of White Sox baseball and we appreciate you being here along with us if you get your podcasts on a platform that allows ratings and reviews please do so we greatly appreciate it whether the review is good bad or otherwise we don't really care because the bad reviews help us get better and the good reviews make us feel better so please whatever your feedback is go ahead and do that if you have any feedback that you want to shout out on Twitter at Real Coach Rusty at Matthew Ice Zero Three. We're not always on, but we're usually around, and we would greatly love to talk White Sox baseball with you. With that being said, let's have a great week, and we'll talk to you guys on the other side. <laughs>